John Master Giovanni. Thank you, sir. Good morning, Genesis. Am I uh, fired up or no? I'm switched on. Okay, great. How are you doing today? Well, it's good to be back. I was here uh, last year and had a wonderful time with you, and I just want to thank you so much for allowing me to come back um, and participate in this ordination service and share a little bit with you uh, from God's Word. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you, Lord, for this time together. God, we ask you now that you would help us elevate our senses to see you, to hear you, to sense you in the name of Jesus. God, I ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Lord, I ask that you would anoint me to communicate this word effectively and unhindered in any manner. In Jesus' name I pray. If you agree with me, please say amen. Amen. Amen and women too, praise the Lord. God is an equal opportunity employer, in spite of what tradition may have told us. In your bulletins, I had a scripture, um, and it comes out of the book of Acts, the fifth chapter. It says, in the 15th verse, and said, So they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. I believe we've come to a place in God's world that he would have his people full of his presence to the point where your shadow matters. I'm convinced that you could legislate, you can campaign, you can do what you want in the political arena to change the world, and it's not going to happen unless the presence of God is there. And if the presence of God, not only politically, in your life, if the presence of God is there, what happens politically doesn't matter. Sorry. I know we just went through an election and I've seen some of the most ugly things come out of Christian people. I'd never ever thought I would come out. And I know Pastor Jeff has shared along some of those, so, some of those things. But, you know, that's kind of what I want to share with you a little bit today. I, I call it the ministry of presence. And I realize we're ordaining some folks today. So hopefully I'll have a little bit for leadership and I'll have a little bit for the rest of us. And a little bit even maybe for some who've never even gotten to know the Lord before. But I'm going to make it real simple up front. You are the ark of God's presence going somewhere to happen. It's that simple. You are the eternal manifestation of the infinite one going somewhere to happen. The issue is, oh God, will you send your presence? When you said that, you just said, God, send me. That's right. The catch is, is most of us have to simply become aware. Peter had a shadow issue. Now, most of us don't realize that, interestingly enough, in the Hebrew language, the word uh, shadow is salem. And salem is the same word that we translate image. When God said, I will make Adam in my image and in my likeness, he said, he said we will create Adam salemnu ba'katmutnu. In my image and in my likeness. For the, if you want to know, Real quick, image and likeness. Image is masculine, likeness is feminine. (laughs) And they were both called Adam. Eve didn't become Eve till after the fall. Just want you to know. 
Look it up in your Bible. The name Eve doesn't come into the plan to play until after the fall in Genesis 3. They were both Adam. The key was they were created. The Bible says he breathed into them and they became a living soul. Now understand something here real quick. Get a little theological here. The soul is the most important thing. What we've done, some of us in Christianity, is poo-poo the soul and made it all about the spirit. But the soul is the place in which the spirit resides. Biblically speaking. And if I was to take you back to Genesis for a minute, it's an interesting story. You know, for most of us, the book of Genesis is about how God created the planet Earth in seven days. How many of you know the Bible never said he created the earth in seven days? Actually, the first chapter and the first couple of verses of the book of Genesis, and I'm not just saying this because I got a revelation. This is 4,000 years of Hebrew teaching. (laughs) Some of us in the church are just catching up. What we call seven days of creation, actually it's only one day of creation, interestingly enough, with six aspects. But based on the language. So we're still technically in day one. <laughs> Why? Because where he is, there's no day or night. Think it through. <laughs> the Bible really says this. You want to talk about the seven days? It's really about God finding a place to rest. There was six days, and on the seventh, he finally had a place to rest. But hear me, the rest didn't come until his image was created. Day six was when the Adam was created, the full manifestation of the image and likeness of God in which his presence could rest. And those are the, you see, really, Genesis chapter 1 on into the first few verses of chapter 2 is the entire story from Genesis to Revelation. You see, the final chapters of Revelation talk about a new Jerusalem that houses the presence of God made up of living stones, you and I, that come down out of heaven. It's the whole story. Really, Genesis chapter 1 is a table of contents. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I don't have the, the verses for you. Uh, one verse I didn't give you, I'm sorry. But for example, I just want to read to you Exodus 24, 16 through 18. It says this, Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered, covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses. Hmm, six days and a seven again, huh? Something about that. The issue of God trying to find a place to rest again, see. And, and it wasn't, finally, he had to call this guy named Moses, which means drawn out of the water. So his presence can manifest. And when his presence manifested, Mount Sinai kind of went, exploded all over the place. You are an explosion of God going somewhere to happen. Now, let's do a little backdrop story. I'm looking for a clock because we're on a time schedule today. Okay. I don't know when the end time is because I forgot to look when I got up here. 
So if I'm really led by the Spirit, I'll end on time, right? <laughs> if not, <laughs> Pastor Jeff will just have to get up and body slam me over to the side and say, enough, dude, you're done. In Jesus' name, of course. <laughs> With Christian love. Hatalamashanda. <laughs> So, here's the catch though. There was, in the garden, you've heard of this before, I'm sure. I know Pastor Jeff's preached this stuff to you before. There was these two trees. Now, let me tell you right off the front. If you're thinking of apples and pears, you missed the point. We're talking about a world that has nothing like this physical world. Matter of fact, this physical world technically, according to most Jewish tradition, didn't come into existence until the fall. This is the lowest form of creation. The atom was this amazing, bigger than this physical universe. Adam. Scripture always refers to him as Ha'adam, the Adam. Not just Adam like the guy. Well, because he wasn't just a guy. He was a he and a she united as one, reflecting the image of God. And there they were, housed with God. But then there was this thing called these two trees. You ever hear of those? Tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? And of course, you know the story. The simple, we'll do it the simple side is simply this. They, uh, they were told to actually subdue the activity that the tree of knowledge of good and evil produces. According to the scripture. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. Right and wrong. Well, instead, I think you know how the story goes. They partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and death came to them. They fell from those higher worlds, if you will, to this low one. Literally, in Hebrew, it talks about a vessel shattering. And each is a little piece of that massive soul that housed God. And you're a piece, and you're a piece, and you're a piece. And you're a piece, and I'm a piece, and each of us is a piece of the whole. You see, what Jesus is doing when we talk about putting the body of Christ, the church, back together is he's reassembling the vessel for the presence of God to abide in again. That's why he's called the last Adam. We are actually the last Adam, made up of two parts, just like the first one. A male aspect, the Christ, and the female aspect, his bride. But you see, when we partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, death came. Right? You agree with that? You all agree with the story? Even whether you believe it or not, you agree that I'm telling the story right. <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> You know, I have a nine-week class I teach. I've been teaching for about 25 years called the Genesis Factor, which deals with some of the stuff I'm talking to you about right now. And the, th- the thing that's funny is I spent nine weeks talking about the spiritual dynamics of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And at the end of it, God bless her soul, a woman came up to me and she said, You know, Pastor, I just thank you so much for all this. It's been amazing teaching, but I'm still trying to figure out, was the tree of knowledge of good and evil an apple tree or not? Gosh, I must really suck at this. <laughs> I don't communicate well. <laughs> I 
The catch was, when they partook, listen to me, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, death came. Would you agree with that? Now hear me, every preacher in this place. Why do you believe preaching good and evil is going to bring life if all it does is bring death? It's the wrong system. Jesus has never been about preaching good and evil. He's been about manifesting life and dissolving death. The beauty about this is through him, you get to participate as an aspect of the living vessel of the future. In the now, a manifestation, a release of that eternal presence happening now here in this dimension. You see, I believe when Jesus showed up, that's when the end came. What? What about the Antichrist and all that stuff? Well, let's not even worry about that. See, when Jesus showed up, he came from the standpoint of the world to come. At that moment was a cataclysm between the world that is and the world that's coming and the one overlapping the other. And you get to live now from the future. The catch is, is when the tree knowledge, when we partook of this tree, the Bible talks about this, and to me it's one of the most important revelations of Scripture, if we get it. It's called concealment. God was concealed from us. We couldn't see Him, couldn't hear Him, couldn't touch Him, couldn't taste Him, couldn't feel Him. And that's just kind of the way it is in this physical world, huh? But yet, we can sense the effects of him. Take that a step further. You see, the power of concealment then is demonstrated in the temple. For those of you who don't know, the temple that was constructed had this huge veil in front of it. And the ark of God's presence was behind the veil. Now you see, the, the interesting thing about the, what they call the veil of separation is that the ark is not at a far distance. See, separation is an illusion. The presence is right there. The thing is, we don't think it's there because you can't see it. Because you can't sense it. But I'm telling you, God, this eternal, infinite God, is hidden in plain sight. Now, if I can, let me kind of rattle your mind a little bit about a Greek word we called truth. Truth. In English, truth is the absolute fact. Right? In Greek, it's not. Darn! Because there's something about our egos that like to say, I got the truth. And you need my truth. Isn't that what we do? And then we go start preaching. How you're wrong and I'm right. Wrong tree. (laughs) 
how this is not acceptable, how that person is not acceptable until they become like me, who's really not acceptable, but I've been saved by grace, so everybody else got to work for it. <laughs> you know how that goes. Come on, you've all heard that stuff before. Not here in Genesis. And seriously, I know you don't hear that here in Genesis. But you feel me? Well, the Greek word for truth is aletheia. It's a negative particle word. A negative word. You're kidding. No, it's a negative word. That kind of messed with my brain when I first saw it because truth to me is a positive word. Not a negative word. You see, truth <laughs> is simply this. The negative particle is like this. In other words, if I said to you, not happy. That's how, in effect, the Greek word truth is formed. It's not, ha it's not the word happy. It has this negative particle in front of it that says not happy. Now, what does not happy mean? Well, it could mean not happy as in sad. could mean not happy as in mad. Could be not happy as in really ticked off. Could be all kinds of things. But the one thing it's not is happy. Right? Well, the Greek word for truth. Now remember this. Behind the veil. Behind the physical flesh. Is the reality of the eternal God that holds all things together. Aletheia means not concealed. Which changes who the absolute is. Really, truth doesn't become the absolute. God's the absolute. Truth becomes a process of unveiling. Christ said he was the way, the truth, the unveiling, and the life. And then he has commissioned you to preach the non-concealment for you to be the revelation of the invisible God. You see, the other kind of truth gets all wrapped up in the right and wrong, good and evil. This kind of truth has a whole different animal. You see, in the old way, and I got a bunch of scriptures, I'm just going to blast a few thought ideas. In the Old Testament, for example, I don't know, but they, do you, can you imagine they actually stole God? <laughs> I've always wondered about this. God is behind this veil, and the priests of Levi are so holy. They had to go in once a year and they made sacrifices. Jewish tradition talks about how they tied a rope around his ankle and had little bells around him and stuff. That if the bell stopped ringing, <laughs> you dead. Pull him out. <laughs> right? How could that be so powerful and holy? And all of a sudden the Philistines invade Israel, walk right in the temple, open up the veil, pull the, the ark out and just walk it and bring it back to the temple Dagon. Say, so, well, maybe the presence wasn't there. Oh, no, the presence was there because the next morning, Dagon was on its face. So they propped Dagon back up. Next day, Dagon was on his face, and this time broken. How does holy folk not get to touch the ark and unholy folk steal it? Come on. How do you get 
Uzzah, a guy named Uzzah. They're bringing the ark back. It was stolen. By the way, it's 21 years before the ark will come back. Fast forward with me several stories. Ark goes good, bad, good, bad. Philistines upset, not upset. Okay, foreign. War with Israel. Bang. Now we're coming back. (laughs) Now what happens is they got the ark in this new cart. You know, latest worship CDs and all that stuff playing. That's what it said. The band went in front of them. Nothing against Don. By the way, Don Corleone Gattoni is a brother from another mother, I tell you right now. Hi, Ruth. <laughs> That's my boy over there, I tell you. We both come from the East Coast. When you say God the Father, we say, yes, Don. <laughs> we understand. We, we totally get it. So... Back to the story, right? Come on, preacher. You only got a certain time. You're supposed to ordain folks after a while. Okay. <laughs> Go the old Catholic way. Oh, shalom, shalom, shalom. Uzzah's traveling down the road and they hit this, this place called the threshing floor of Nacon, which I would love to share with you what those words mean, but right, not right now. Just the simple was this. The ark starts to topple a bit. Hey, Uzzah t- turns to just keep it steady and he touches the ark and boom, he's dead. It's like, I guess you need an ungodly Philistine to hold it up. What? <laughs> Well, finally, this happens. David, he's kind of upset with God now. So he decides, we're not going to bring it to Israel after this. Tell you what, let's bring it to the house of a guy by the name of Obed-Edom. Brings it to his house. And Obed-Edom's kind of a funky guy in scripture. Because you can't really figure out where he comes from. In one place, he's listed with the Levites, the priests. And in another place, he's listed as a Gittite. Anybody know what a Gittite is? Besides how my pants feel in a, <laughs> since I've been out here eating all the sugar and stuff, my, they've been getting tight. <laughs> a Gittite. A Gittite is a relative of the Philistine tribe of Gath. Gath is the family of Goliath. So is he a Levite or a Gittite? I don't know, who cares, forget about it. <laughs> the point is, is he brings him, the, the ark, to Obed-Edom's house, and all of a sudden, Obed-Edom is blessed for three months. The Bible talks, it says it this way in so many words, his socks got blessed off with him and his family. And David decides, I'm going back and get that. Here's my point again. How can you, how can you steal God then touch it and be killed the right guy then be brought to a questionable guy's house and he be blessed because God doesn't operate by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in concealment I'm going to end with the scripture here in just a few minutes that will make a point I hope but here's the deal The first part of it is this. If you're an ungodly, stinky Philistine, God will go with you. 
second thing is if you're one of them questionable folks, kind of got your foot in the door and not exactly in the door, God will bless you. But if you're one of them religious folks that got it all tight wadded right up, you dead. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> Acts chapter 10 has a wonderful series of verses that really settle some issues for us. See, I call this the ministry of presence because it's about the presence of God abiding. You see, God didn't, it, God didn't commission somebody to go to the land of the Philistines, like Washington, D.C., for example, and just start to tell folks, you better get your life right, and depending upon who you vote for is who's on God's side and all that stuff. Instead, the presence just showed up in Dagon's temple, and Dagon just fell over. That's what the Bible says. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. The presence didn't care where its location was, whether it was in the temple Dagon or in the temple Israel. It was just oozing life. And anything that just happened to be contrary to life fell over. My challenge to the church is this. If you will manifest presence, this other stuff takes care of itself. But if you're not manifesting presence, you're going to fall back to the tree of knowledge of good and evil and you're going to start pointing the finger on which candidate's right, which candidate's wrong, which legislation's right, which legislation's wrong, which preacher's right, which preacher's wrong, and you miss presence. And God is concealed. And what's worse is in that concealment, you still think you're right. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 42. This is the New Living Translation. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain. Oh, cool. I get to read it off of the screen. Who was a captain of the Italian regiment. Don, we got it. The Catonis are going to be anointed today, no problem. We're going to make them an offer they can't refuse, I promise. He was a devout Italian, God fearing man. Well, didn't say Italian, but I had to throw it in. As was everyone in his household. You better believe it. Nobody in the Godfather's house misbehaved. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Everybody saw the Godfather movie while Sonny was getting shot, how the Godfather family was still at the christening. You remember? Okay. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a visitation in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel, and the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa, and summon a man called Simon Peter, who is staying with Simon the Tanner, who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them, what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town. Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by, his four, by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Not Jewish food, in other words. Then a voice said to him, get up Peter, kill and eat him. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. In other words, you don't get it the first time, we're going to talk about it again. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then, three, three men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Three men, three visions. Peter, get the point. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them. Uh, yeah, without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we're sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He's a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. Now stop there for just a second. We'll come back to this. Beautiful story. But it's a I gotcha story. Especially for religious people. I said yesterday in leadership meeting, I'm more convinced today that Jesus Christ is trying to free his people from the Christian religion more than ever before. In this story so far, what we have is a guy who's technically not a Jew. He don't have all the P's and Q's correct. He's just a guy, just a Roman officer guy. Just trying to figure out who this God is. Doing good stuff because he knows that's what God would probably like him to do. And helping people. Then you got the guy that was born a Jew. Walked with Jesus three years. Saw the crucifixion, the resurrection. Was filled with the Holy Spirit of power. Several verbs, three or five chapters ago, was the guy walking by whose shadow touched this guy or that lady and bang, they're healed. And now he's on a roof arguing with God over what to eat. Here's the dilemma. God speaks to the guy who's not even saved, if you want to use those terms, not even living right, if you want to use those terms. He's not even in the group, to use those terms. He, he, the guy gets a vision. The angel talks to him. He says, you. Now, he, he puts him on mission to... Now, last I checked, the word sent is apostle. Cornelius... Has, is told to send guys to Joppa to talk to Peter. Peter, meantime, the guy who has the presence of the Almighty living in him where his shadow touches people and they're miraculously healed, is stuck on a roof in his legalistic right and wrong thinking that he was so wrapped up in it 
he couldn't hear God about going to Joppa, so God has to find some nice guy in the New Age movement to go over to talk to the Christian guy to get his act together. <laughs> Amen, Dr. John. That was real good preaching right there. That's what he does. So then Peter argues with God, and here's the thing, men and women of God. This is the bottom line. Most of us who are literally the house of the infinite are arguing over right and wrong things stuck on our roof while the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And God has no problem going to folks outside whatever you think is right or wrong to say, tag, you're it. I believe... Genesis Church. Now, you've been on this, you got a word about 40 days. Every Hebrew letter has a numerical value assigned. The number 40 is the Hebrew letter for water. The water and flow of the Spirit. I am here to tell you today, I believe God arranged this, even why maybe Dr. Earl couldn't be here and I wound up being here. I believe it's to tell you that you have recognized the necessary things to get off the roof and become a manifested presence of God wherever you go. Not just in the church house, but on the job at the grocery store, at home, and I mean manifested presence. I'm not just talking about Jesus loves you, it's really nice. <laughs> I'm talking about revolutionary, transforming, changing power of God, backed by a love that doesn't care if they're right, doesn't care if they're wrong, just wants to be present because the presence will do the rest. Without reading the rest of it, I'll just say this. The way this story ends is Peter shows up to this new age, Buddhistic, whatever house, I don't care, pick a religion you don't like. That's where Peter shows up because to him it would have been unclean anyway. He shows up to this Gentile Italian house. Thank you, Lord, they were Italians who had it right. Anyway, <laughs> the point was... He shows up. Don, we got it, buddy. Right? The, she shows up. Of course, Nina's Italian too. Right. <laughs> How do you think salvation came to Jeff? <laughs> I ain't never going to get invited back now. <laughs> you know what happens, though? While Peter's preaching. You see, he didn't even wait for him to get done and have an altar call. While he's preaching, the Spirit of God falls on these people and they're speaking in tongues and prophesying and the manifestation of God's all over the place. Why? Because they were already kind of tuned in before Peter showed up. Peter was the guy with the problem. Who was this really for? Peter or them? Or both? Both. Because it takes divine connection for it to really happen. It takes the vessel to reconnect for the house of God to manifest. That's what this is all about. You are now Mount Sinai.
You are now the house in Joppa. You are now a Peter whose shadow transforms lives. You don't even have to think about it anymore. Matter of fact, if you think about it, you're going to stall it. Come on. I'm not saying don't learn and be educated in God. What I am saying is sometimes, remember, before it even said knowledge of good and evil, it just said knowledge. Don't let conditions hinder you from manifesting God. How many times we even, we, before we even talk to this person, we're, count, we're thinking in our mind, are they ready to receive? How about just manifesting God? You don't have to say a word. The day gone in their life will fall over. Or the blessing of the house will come to them. Come on. Amen? Because you are a living manifestation of the infinite God. I'm done because we got things to do.